G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Marina, New Zealand, good morning and uh, welcome to Mornings with Ian Smith from 9 to 12. Uh, the crew the crew in the studio are fired up for this one and so am I. It's a busy, busy Monday. David White, CEO of New Zealand Cricket, very shortly the turmoil the turmoil of uh, that uh, decision, um, that death threat. Let's see if we can get a little bit more information. I know they're, they're clamming up a wee bit on it, but we might get something, a little gem somewhere along the line. Uh, Hawks Bay assistant coach uh, Josh Sims, uh, of course, um, just got home yesterday, just got home in the Battle of the Bay. So he is in the Bay this morning, and we, we shall be speaking to him. Justin Marshall uh, in Queenstown. Uh, will be coming through on that wonderful All Black performance. Just how much depth have the All Blacks got at their disposal at the moment? It seems to be unbelievable. Pat McKendry and Jeff McTainch will be the panel uh, around about 20 past 10. Uh, just before 11, we'll check in with Louis Herman Watt, Paul Mawadi from the TAB. So much racing to talk about over the weekend. Vossi, Andrew Voss will come in as usual on a Monday just after 11 o'clock. Uh, and uh, we have uh, reached the real cutting edge of the NRL, it seems, and uh, one thrashing and one really tight one to talk about. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's far from unusual to have a New Zealand cricket tour to the subcontinent abandoned, curtailed early, on at least two occasions as a result of terrorism, non-directed, non-directed at the tour party. Teams have been bustled out of Dodge at relatively short notice, on another occasion, the team was split. Speaking from experience, cricket goes very quickly to a very distant back burner. Life and death do become quite prominent. My involvement in 1987 in Colombo was as a hotel guest, a few hundred yards from a busy market where hundreds were killed or maimed by a bomb blast. Cricket and cricketers were not the target. This time around, it seems the Black Caps were the intended target. It's actually bloody incredible, and we may never know the full details of the nature of the threat. But what we do know is already is that is enough, and that New Zealand cricket have acted in exactly the right manner with speed and with diligence. I spoke in an earlier sermon of the uniqueness of touring Pakistan, the lengths they would go to, to ensure the safety and safe passage of our team. That the cricket would be tough, but through it all the players would benefit and end up enjoying it. Sadly, that will not happen. And even more sadly, it may never happen again. For if our team was some absolutely unknown reason the absolute target, why won't it be in the future? My hope is that it is the cricket event that is the target, not the cricketers. And it just happened to be us stuck in the middle again. There are some fine individuals running Pakistan cricket with the best of endeavours. Former players with fine pedigrees. Good God, their Prime Minister is the most prominent. This for them is a crushing blow as it uh, is for their current players. They are as much a victim here as our squad and the game itself. It remains to be seen if the media future tours will proceed. I hope they do. 
but I pray that they're unscathed. Our men are safe, and that is, of course, the main thing. Life beats sport any day of the week. This has been a bad thing, but with clearly, for us, the best outcome. It's 9.06 here on SENZ. Uh, David White, the CEO of New Zealand Cricket, joins us uh, from day one. You've had some uh, interesting issues uh, in your role, David White, and uh, they seem to continue. And this one uh, probably now is one of the ugliest ones you've had to deal with. Uh, Good morning to you, Whitey. Tell tell us exactly where you were when you found out about this, because most of us were sitting down to watch the Black Caps play Pakistan. (laughs) Well, I was... um at, at home and good good morning, Smithy. Um, I was at home. We we got a call from um, government agencies um, on Friday Friday afternoon, um, informing us of the specific uh, credible threat against the team. Um, so um, I contacted our security person in Pakistan, which was three o'clock in the morning, and and then um, we we just worked through it. Um, with with him on the ground, um, that verified the threat as well, and other independent sources. And we worked through it with the government and our people um, through the day. Um, so, you know, really, um, really disappointing for Pakistan cricket. Um, but we had no option but to leave the tour, unfortunately. In your heart of hearts, if it had not been us on tour, say it had to just I'll pick Australia at random. Do you think it uh, that uh, that threat would have come against Australia or? Do you think it was specifically aimed at us? And if good God it was, why? I, I don't know the answer to that, Smithy. Um, and I guess we won't know the answer to that, unfortunately. It is it's it's bewildering, uh, you know, to think that we would be. Um, but, and, and, and as you've said throughout this whole process, uh, the Pakistan people that you've been dealing with, uh, you know, they're, they're men of dignity and they're... They're the ones suffering, I guess, the most. Yeah, it's um, really disappointing. You know, they're quality people, and you know them all too, Smithy. You played against them, um, and they and the Pakistani um, players and the people are very passionate. And they're great cricketers and very passionate about cricket. And we we like um, you know most member countries uh, we're you know trying to help Pakistan get back into playing cricket at home. Um, South Africa just played there. The West, West Indies have just played there as well. Um, foreign players have been playing in their Premier League and um, England is scheduled to go there in a few weeks in Australia after Christmas. So, you know, we, you know, it's really, it's really, really disappointing for Pakistan cricket that this has happened. Wadi, um, you, you left no stone unturned, right? You left no stone unturned in preparation for this tour. You sent Reg Dickerson there, a man of uh, vast experience in that part of the world. Um, at what lengths did you go to uh, to make sure that this probably or hopefully would not happen? Oh, it was massive. Um, you know, every tour we go on, we do pre-tour security checks, but this one was extensive. And Reg Dickerson has been involved um, insecurity operations in Pakistan for a number of years. Incredibly experienced and well regarded. So he's got, um, you know, works very closely with all the contacts over there and, and the Pakistan security people as well. So 
The preparation was extensive. Uh, we were confident in the processes and the security that was being provided. But unfortunately, it all changed on Friday. Did you have a reassessment when the, the situation in Afghanistan nearby changed with the, the Taliban uh, recapturing power there? That, that was discussed at length um, with our providers and, and officials, but they uh, still felt that um, it, it was fine to tour and all the preparation was done. Um, so, yeah, that, that was all considered. OK, let's uh, look at the conversations um, you, had, you, you say this came from the government initially, so uh, that in a, that's unusual. Uh, t- can you tell us about that process uh, a, a little bit more thoroughly? Yeah, so, so the government uh, agencies informed us um, that they had knowledge of a specific credible threat against the team, um, and they communicated with us that with us immediately, and we uh, continued those discussions um, informed our person on the ground who spoke to um, his contacts and sources and that was verified. Okay, let's um, let's uh, look at your relationship now with uh, with Wazim Khan. Obviously, you know, it's a very, very tough time with him, but uh, he, was, he was pretty good apparently in terms of getting you, uh, our guys out of there. Oh, they're fantastic, very professional. Um, they're incredibly disappointed and, uh, you know, they're quality people and very capable administrators, him and now Ramis, who you know as well, you've played against. Um, so, um, yeah, it, listen, it's going to be there, incredibly disappointed, and we understand that. So we will work through with them over the coming weeks and months to ensure that we fulfil our obligations to them. We've got to play five P uh, five ODIs and three T20s against them. Um, we know that, so we'll, we'll, we'll work with them over that. But obviously it's, um, you know, it's a challenging time for them. Well, certainly those games uh, won't be played in Pakistan, so um, uh, the best scenario, I guess, is uh, the UAE, but finding a window must be pretty tough. Yeah, that's, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty busy for the next few years, but I'm sure we'll find a window. Uh, we are actually scheduled to play them next year um, in January, February, um, two test matches as part of the West World Test Championship and some ODIs, and maybe we can... Um, wrap the games around those series. I'm not quite sure we need to look at the detail. Uh, Wadi, uh, how, how quickly, how, I mean, how efficiently were, were you able to get them out of there at, at the drop of a hat? It, it seemed a pretty pretty smooth process in the end. Yeah, we had a contingency in place. Uh, we had a charter flight uh, that was available at short notice uh, as part of our pre-tour plan. We were able to do that and execute that and we were able to secure the accommodation in Dubai where the team are going to be staying for the World T20. So that's where the players are now. OK, let, let's, uh, have, have you had contact with um, the group since they've arrived? Could, would you be able to tell us about the mindset of the group, the players, etc.? Because, uh, you know, this is a hell of a shock to the system. So how, how, are, they, how are they coping? A lot of these boys are new, new boys in terms of touring on the block. Yeah, they are, and you know they were they were really excited about the tour and looking forward to playing as we all were. Um, I haven't spoken to any individual players yet. I've been talking, dealing with uh, team management, um, so who've done a terrific job. Um, we'll we'll put our hands around the players and and work closely with them. But um, I, they're all they're all safe um, and uh, in a secure place. Um, 
I think they're staying in a hotel where there's two of the IPL teams as well. So, um, mm. so our team management will work closely with them to make sure that they're, uh, you know, good state of mind. At what point do you think you might be able to get uh, some or, or most of them home? Yeah, so we had um, we had uh, MIQ places booked for them, and we've worked through with the government, um, and some of them will be coming home this week, as I understand it, as we've been able to secure some um, some emergency places, and obviously we'll forfeit forfeit the other places we had. So, so we think that uh, they'll be um, they'll be coming home sometime this week. Well, we have a group game actually against Pakistan at the T Twenty World Cup on October twenty sixth in Sharjah. You anticipate any issues about that? Would there have to be extra security? I mean, um, we pray not, but I suppose that's it's something you got to look at. Yeah, so it's an ICC event, so um, I'm, I'm sure it will be fine. Um, there'll be there'll be you know significant security anyway for these events, but um, yeah, quite ironic that we're playing them in the first game. Mm. Um, and it'll be, uh, you know, be a great game as it always is against Pakistan. But um, I'm sure the ICC will have that uh, under control. Wadi, there is a, a story came out yesterday that w- one of our players may have been targeted once, once some sort of death threat uh, prior to the actual departure. Is there any substance to that? Do you know? Yeah, there was. Um, this is not unusual. Um, so a couple of players received um, email. Um, correspondence or threats, if you like, um, which were forwarded to our security provider who um, investigated them with the Pakistani authorities and they were not deemed to be credible at all. Um, So they were fully investigated. And and at the end of the day, the decision was uh, yours uh, or was it the government's decision? Oh, it was a very strong, um, strong directive from the government. To come home, okay. but it was um, you know based on based on based on that, but but also our security advisor. Um, it was uh, we had no option, Smithy. Okay, I can hear that, and I can hear on your voice, um, uh, David, that you sorry uh, you're pretty cut up about this whole thing and having to deal with it. Uh, on slightly better news, well, it's better news for him in particular. Chris Cairns has released a video uh, saying he's uh, on the mend. Great news, you know his family, you know Lance very well, so that is uh, that's one little uh, shining light. Yeah, it was, um, I, I saw I saw it this morning. It's pretty emotional seeing him actually. Um, gee, he's been through a lot, hasn't he? Um, and just great to see him, you know, talking so well. And we, you know, we wish him all the very best, of course. So full steam ahead now uh, for the T Twenty World Cup. That's the next thing on the agenda, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we've got uh, players playing in the in the IPL. We've got um, we've we've got actually bowled well last night by the looks. Bolt and, and Milton. I saw they got a couple of wickets each. Uh, we've got players that'll be preparing in uh, UAE now. Uh, and then of course after the T20 World Cup, we've got um, two Test matches against India, which will be uh, you know really really exciting. Um, looking forward to those as well. Preparation for home, going home summer is not too far away when you think we're uh, in the middle of September now. So uh, home summer and, of course, the Women's World Cup are priority. So uh, everything in, in line for that. You hear, you hear stories about MIQ and availability of getting and the ability to get teams in and out of the country at the moment. Are you on track there, do you believe? Yeah, we are. It's, um, well, our first-class cricket starts on the 23rd of October, so that, that, that's great. Um, 
hopefully Auckland will um, get out of level four and down to two quickly so that the Auckland players can play as well. Um, but in terms of planning for the for the season, we're you know we're working through the government on MIQ places, um, and that's progressing well. And, and the Women's World Cup is going to be it's going to be a massive event. So challenging. Though, I've, I've got to admit that um, with the complexity of MIQ and things, but um, the government have been very supportive, and we just got to with these things. It's a, it's a day at a time, really, because um, things change so much in this current environment. But we've just got to keep calm. Keep working through it, and and we'll get there in the end. Okay, Wadi, uh, we'll leave it at that. Congratulations uh, on handling the situation well. Um, I'm not sure. Congratulations, but uh, but having said that, uh, tough situation you seem to have got through, and uh, let's hope that they get home safe and well. I think that's the number one priority. Thanks for talking to us. Cheers, Matthew. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, David White. There, folks. Uh, it's nine nineteen here on SENZ. What do you make of the whole situation? Uh, it's pretty galling. You know, the, the question I, re- I really uh, wanted the answer to, which Whitey, of course, uh, couldn't answer, but he must have considered, is the fact, is it us? Or would it have been someone else? Or was it just the timing? Um, was it New Zealand? Was it, it, was it the Black Caps in particular? And if it is, what have they got against us? What has happened within our cricket? What has happened within our sport? What has happened within our society uh, that has made us targets? all of a sudden, out of the blue. That, that, that's the thing I can't sort of get my head around. So maybe you've got a thought on that. 8833 is our text number, uh, 0800 uh, New Zealand cricket could not have handled that any better, and they had absolutely no option. It's disappointing. Your gut reaction as a cricket fan, as a sports fan, you, you look at it and you think, really? Really? Um, you know, really? But yeah, really? Really? Uh, I mean, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. It's 9.20. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.25am, uh, of course, here on SCNZ and a text from Rich. Hi, Smithy. I still can't understand how we even considered going in the first place with the current situation in Afghanistan and, strangely enough, agreeing to play cricket games that close to the border. I don't care about the details as much as the threat. I'm just glad the boys are out and out and safe. Uh, yeah, Rich, uh, I think everyone shares your, your sentiments there. Look, they, they would have gone through a big process to make sure this happened. It's been 18 years since we've been there. Let's not forget. 18 years. Uh, and in that time, uh, we would have had Ted, uh, teams uh, scheduled to go there, but of course they've had to play in the UAE. Um, so I understand both sides of it. I, I know Ramis Raja very well. He's a fellow commentator, and he's the chairman of the Pakistan cricket board. Um, I know how passionate he is about Pakistan cricket. They'll be devastated by this. Finally, they've achieved their goal of getting cricket back on a regular basis. Their players, a whole generation of players, never ever played for Pakistan on Pakistan soil. So you got, there's a lot of passion. And we, we're passionate about the All Blacks. Man, we are. You want to try passion? Go to Pakistan and ask them about cricket. They are absolutely big on it. And for not being able to have it, this is devastating for them. Really does cut to the quick, as they say. So uh, this, is, this is a tough one, a real tough one. Uh, Imran Khan, we all know Imran Khan. I mean, we all know um, what a fantastic cricketer was, but he's, he's made his way to being a very successful and highly respected politician on the world stage because Pakistan is such a, uh, a volatile country over the years. But he's sort of brought some stability to it. And, and right at the heart of that 
will be his uh, continued love for cricket as well. So he would have thought um, that one of his great coups was to be able to get it to a situation where it was stable enough uh, in the eyes of the world to resume normal transmission in terms of playing at home. This this will be very, very, very painful for him in particular. And they have a lot of ex-players involved in the administration of it uh, for obvious reasons, so they can have high-profile people there with uh, solid backgrounds in the game and people will deal with them and trust what they say. Uh, so this, again, is uh, very, very painful for them, John, looking on. So, uh, uh, And I, I understand pretty much every angle it's come from, to be fair. I understand the disappointment. Um, you know, I, I think that initially there was a bit of a, an opinion around some people in this country that was just the New Zealand cricket being soft again and getting out way too easily. That, of course, is not the case. No, Smithy. Oh, what got me worried was the um, there's a bit of vitriol, I guess, afterwards. Because, like you say, you know, imagine if the All Blacks had been in the international wilderness, not being able to play at home for so long, and then you get a big team about to come. It's about to start. You know, all your fans are excited. Your your administration's excited. Your players are excited. Then, right at the last minute, they decide to leave off their own security advice, whereas your advice in Pakistan is saying it's all fine. And so uh, there was a few tweets going out there, Smithy. I, I read the comments. I know you're not. That's rule number one of the internet. Never read the comments. Uh, but I did of one of the Black Caps posts that they put out on Twitter saying, uh, you know, sorry, but we've had to leave. And then hundreds, hundreds of comments from Pakistan um, fans mostly, but even some with the blue tick, some ex-players and, and, and things like that, just really not agreeing, calling New Zealand cricket cowards. Uh, saying why are you acting unilaterally, why are you not um, working with us on this to make the tour go ahead. I think one of them mentioned, Smithy, that they were, uh, weren't happy to use the security to play the game, but they were happy to use the security to get to the airport to leave the country. So what's the difference? So, uh, and you know, tempers were inflamed, weren't they? I just hope this isn't going to turn into a, a an incident between Pakistan and New Zealand and that maybe things can just calm down a bit and those guys that you mentioned, Ramiz Raja and Imran Khan, who are in important positions in Pakistan, can maybe douse the flames a little bit because there are a lot of passions on show, Smithy. There are. Uh, and I'm passionate too. Don't you worry about that. That will It really will have annoyed them initially, um, but uh, they're practical people and they're probably, at the end of the day, will see... Uh, some some light at the end of the tunnel. The big question mark now is uh, with the English women's team scheduled to tour there, not too far away, the English men's team, Australia on a full tour. Uh, they'll be working overtime now, their boards, absolutely working overtime. Would be easy. They'll be getting the gist of, of uh, our threats as well. They'll know more about our threats than we as the New Zealand public will be allowed to know about them. Uh, more on that subject uh, throughout the morning. We might try and get an opinion from the Players Association boss, Heath Mills. Get a feeling from within the camp, maybe. He's uh, surely uh, he's been in contact with some of the players. It's 9.30, uh, and here's Trudy with the news. So 33 points to 30 a draw means they retain the shield. That's all you need to know. Oh, golden points. Tian Falcon. Cool as you like. And that is gone through the post. How big is that? And unless there's been a rule change, they will retain the shield. Watch Bay. They'll play extra time for the Bunnings. NPC Championship points. Well, is it? That's what I'm hearing from the sideline officials that uh, Hawks Bay 
have not at this stage defended the shield because it goes to extra time, okay. the shield stays on the line. Okay. Now Ollie Setford, it's a penalty oh. advantage. Got advantage for offside. Is this game going to be decided by a penalty? Oh. It's going to be. Oh, and Tian Falcon with a kick in front. An historic day for Hawks Bay. Tian Falcon, a famous name with a great legacy from this wonderful province, has the final say. 36 points to 33 in a thriller. It was a thriller, all right, called there by Ken Laban, of course. And uh, Isaac Boss was the uh, the other voice that you heard in there in the background. Sound like Isaac Boss had might have a bit on the Bay of Plenty, actually. The way he was dismayed about the whole thing unfolding towards the end. Uh, I have to ask him about that. Uh, but however, it was historic. It was historic because it's the first time a Shield challenge has gone into Golden Point extra time. Uh, Hawks Bay, of course, uh, prevailing 33-30 over Bay of Plenty. So joining us now is the Magpies assistant coach, Josh Sims, who will be, uh, I'm sure, very happy man this morning. Uh, quite relieved. Josh, good morning to you. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, the word's relieved, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, uh, we, yeah, we, got, we got outvoted 13-1 to 1, um, in the provincial unions as to whether you, the Ramsley Shield would go on the line in extra time. So we were, well, we were well aware that that might be an outcome at some stage this year. Thirteen to one. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of one sided, isn't it, mate? You got me there. Hello. Yeah, we got you. The idea. That's 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 incredibly one sided vote, Josh. No, we haven't got him. We'll, we'll try and get him uh, back up, actually, um, because I'm, oh, we got it. Are you there, Josh? No, he's not. We'll, we'll try and get his line up again. So thirteen to one. <laughs> to one, oh, it was the vote, uh, the vote against um, against Hawks Bay, wanting to make sure that the, the shield stayed uh, in in town if it didn't go to Golden Point. So you probably, I mean, the chances of it happening are very, very remote. I, I imagine someone's got the stats on how many draws there've been over the years. And um, but I always thought that that was one of the beauties of the Ranfurly Shield. In fact, you know, in other sports, you always have this thing, Ranfurly Shield rules. Uh, which means you've got to actually win to win. Um, so uh, apart from that, um, you know, that was the special side of it. But uh, these things change. Everything changes. So it wasn't that long ago we didn't have Golden Point in rugby, which is, I think, quite a cool thing. Um, so I'm hoping that we can get Josh back on the line uh, and uh, work out exactly what's gone wrong there. He's uh, in Hawke's Bay. It's a, quite a blue sky day here in Hawke's Bay this morning. Uh, and, uh, you know, people are feeling quite... Uh, chuffed by the whole thing. Quite a good crowd too, which was interesting for me. I, I was under the in understanding that you could only have around about 100, 100 people there. Josh, are, are you there now? Yeah, yeah, I am. Sorry, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, yeah so four, uh, 13 to 1, that's quite decisive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I look, hey, 117 years, I guess history's made to be to be broken, so it's, uh, yeah, it's nice to be on the right side of it. If we hadn't been, I'm sure we'd be complaining. Yeah, I'm sure you're not the only one. Hey, mate, uh, look, let's, uh, let's uh, look at uh, the situation there. You're down um, with uh, only two and a half minutes to go. They, you can see that try under the bin. Uh, what are your feelings up uh, alongside uh, Mark upstairs? Oh, I think, to be honest, we, you know, sort of had a little bit of a, little bit of a plan. It was really get back into our kick reception plan um, 
uh, we thought if we kick deep, we'd get the ball back. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we can we can get into our drive and we can get into a bit of shape. And hopefully, you know, with, with Paul Williams, who's, you know, one of our best referees in the country, he's pretty hot on things like offside and breakdown. And we, we hope we could be, hope we could get three points there somewhere. And, you know, Tian, I don't think, missed at McLean Park in a couple of years. So it was nice to have him on at the end there. Wasn't a, it was not an easy kick uh, with the conditions. It was a little bit windier than people might suspect at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got and he's got a bit a bit more length in in his league. So um, yeah, no, just to, you know, sometimes luck goes your way and you guys on and and and, uh, and things happen for them and and they're able to win your games. And I think we probably got a little bit lucky there with him being on at the time. But um, yeah, no, hell, hell of a kick. He was he was kicking them all on Saturday, so. We had a bit of had a bit of confidence that he might do it on Sunday too. So uh, with him and uh, with Lincoln, uh, you're quite strong around that ten area. Another strong performance from uh, Lincoln McClutchy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Link's yeah coming from strength to strength, and hopefully someone in the Super Rugby department picks him up for next year, and and you know with an extra team in New Zealand, hopefully they they might be interested. But um, you know with Caleb Marketing as well, who's who's should be back this week from a long term injury, so. You know, we've got a bit of strength at at, uh, at 10.15, so it's got both well for, for the backs going forward, and there's a bit of selection headaches for, for Oz uh, this week to see who he's going to pick for Wellington. Why, why would do you suspect that Lincoln McClutchy hasn't had a, a, a super contract by now? I mean, his his form has been fairly consistent, and his, you know, his flair is very obvious. Oh, sometimes it just comes down to circumstance, I suppose. You know, like... Um, yeah, opportunity and timing, and it's like anything in life. I suppose you, know, you play, you know, one game in front of the right person or at the right time, and and uh, you know that, that person thinks a lot of you, and and suddenly you get further and further. And I guess you know, I don't, I don't know. Perhaps his opportunity and his timing hasn't quite happened yet for the right people. But um, you know, we we here at Hawks Bay think heaps of him. Um, you know, he's a he's a Hawks Bay boy, and. To be honest, he was covering halfback on on uh, on Sunday as well, and I'm sure he would have gone just as well as anyone else at halfback had we need to use him there as well. Josh, you went for a six-two split uh, in terms of your reserves, which in the end turned out to be the absolute oracle because uh, you lost Devon Flanders so early in the piece. Um, uh, so it, it, that worked in well with Gareth Evans coming on. So how um, what, what did you work on on that theory, and, and uh, what's the latest news on Devon at the moment? Um, oh, I think we got a bit lucky. It was six-two split. We we got caught out a little bit with this um, the COVID restrictions and and uh, transfers of players. So we've had a lot of injury at, at halfback, and we've got one over in Australia doing outstanding things for the All Blacks. So we were we were a bit short at nine, and our coverage for nine had had uh, had come out of uh, we got the paperwork wrong. So <laughs> we probably were just a bit lucky that we, out of necessity, went for six-two. Um, and to be fair, you're right. 100% worked out with Gareth coming coming in to cover Devon and having to play basically the eight minutes anyway. Um, uh, report on Devon's not too bad. Concussion obviously failed his, his HIA um, under the stand, but uh, his post game one was 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 significantly improved. And I mean, these things aren't exact science now with concussions, so we'll never know that you know until we get right through the end of the week to see how we go. But yeah, we're hopefully he's back for, for Sunday against Wellington. It's nice we've got seven days to try and get that clear. The other thing you had uh, off the bench as well as Evans, of course, you had the return of uh, Brendan O'Connor. 
Um, you, you had uh, Josh Kaifer. So you're actually pretty well served uh, in that area too. Well, uh, and I, I must say, I thought uh, uh, Marino Makali too was simply outstanding for the hour that you had him on the park. Yeah, yeah, Marino's, you know, he's still coming back from quite a long-term injury from, from the Highlanders as well, so he's probably not quite as as uh, at his full fitness as he'd like to be, but he's not far off. Um, yeah, we're blessed in loose boards, to be honest. You know, Josh Kuyper's a, a real servant of ours and, and uh, just gives us a million every time he comes on and, and Brendan O'Connor, of course, ex-captain and, and uh, you know, a real leader in our group and... Uh, finally, to get him back on the paddock after having his, his Achilles and then his elbow, and uh, probably COVID helped us in that sense of getting him back. So, yeah, it's going to be a it's, that's a bit of a headache next week because Solomon Ifunaki also has been going outstanding at seven for us. So, yeah, well, that's yeah, that's why having some depth in those high attrition positions, you know, six, seven, and eight is pretty important for us. How much preparation were you able to get into that team in terms of contact training, etc.? Um, yeah, actually plenty, to be fair. We're pretty hardened in, in the fact that the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to be able to sort of ding ourselves around without any without any consequence for um, the game. Uh, and then obviously we prepared the you know the Monday through to Sunday for Bay of Plenty um, in a game sense. And the boys train really well. Um, uh, a little bit of rust in some of the areas we would have, you know, a skill sense and a bit of cohesion sense were probably a bit rusty. Um, with our our line it was probably a little bit rusty we, we tried a few things there that probably went on um, and a bit of cohesion for, in our attack um, but in saying that you know we'll be better for it and you know we've got four points in the shield still there and hopefully we're in a, in a better state for Wellington but yeah this week will be probably a bit more of a down piece, pace week um, and trying to get the guys bodies right because there's a few ding boys from 85 minutes of footy What's the significance? I mean, you've been a Bay, a Bay of Plenty resident. What's the significance of Bay versus Bay for you, for you and the squad? Um, oh, look, it's pretty significant. Uh, you know, Bay of Plenty, you know, everyone takes a bit of pride in being called the Bay, but, um, you know, I was I was living in Bay of Plenty the last time they won the Shield with, with Schmitty and, uh, and Vern and, you know, that wonderful team they had in the early 2000s. Um, and it means heaps to the province. You know, I was teaching Taronga boys, and, and the shield came round, and it was, a, you know, it was a really, really, a uh, really big thing. And and I know they were desperate to get it. You know, they brought a lot of the, a lot of extras, a lot of supporters down, and a lot of a lot of the wider squad. And to be honest, that I think they probably had, if not one, probably one and a half, nearly nearly two hands on it. To be fair, so that's uh, you know, it's going to be pretty disappointing for them, but. You know, we're just we're just stoked to have it for for another another three weeks until Tasman comes down. Falau Fokatava, what's the the go on him? Um, I think he'll still be yeah, his return will be Super Rugby. Um, he's just back running now, uh, relatively serious knee knee injury, but he's uh, he's around the group and uh, being an absolute menace. So uh, it's it's great to have him around, and he's. He's uh, certainly energised the bunny for the group uh, when it comes to the training time, but he's got um, yeah he's got a few steps to go through yet before he's playing back playing footy. Um, I'm sure the Highlanders will get the best of him, and hopefully we can we we can get him back before before the All Blacks decide they want to play him too. Just finally, the stories of legendary Shield parties after matches and that um, you know they're, they're very very significant. How do you celebrate these days? <laughs> Uh, well, I think the 
I think in COVID times, the players, the players, you know, get together and have a. Um, actually, we had a really good time out on the field. We couldn't be in the changing room with Bayes Plenty afterwards because that would have exceeded numbers. So uh, we were out on the field together um, with the field and uh, sorry, with the shield and, and uh, a couple of songs and a few speeches and the boys getting together actually quite nice. Um, you know, with an empty stadium on on Sunday, and then I think the boys go and have a have a few quiet and have a bit of a, a, a sort of reflection but the, the coaching staff um, you know, the difference is when you win the shield or retain it you get to sleep um, and when you don't you don't sleep so I, I got I got probably a good 10 hours last night which makes a nice change to the night before when you get none worrying about it so um, it's a bit different between the management and, and the players but that's just the way it goes Josh Sims thanks very much for your time this morning congratulations um, on another victory yesterday, and uh, really it was quite special to be at. Uh, great advertisement for the game. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Billy. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Josh Sims here, of course, assistant coach, uh, along with Mark Ozich of uh, the Hawks Bay Magpies. The Bay. Yes, the Shield is now in the Bay. It's 9.46. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.51 here, uh, a lot of texts have been coming in on various subjects. Uh, morning Smithy, a kick in the guts, this is about uh, Pakistan, a kick in the guts, it feels like no doubt by so surprised, so surprised we were going there in the first place, says Stu. Uh, Imran, very handsome man, fine player in all respects, I gather, Mike, yep, no doubt about that. Uh, There's <laughs> absolutely no doubt about that. Hi, Smithy and JD. Great that they're out of Pakistan. Stand sad for them as well. Maybe that ugly March 15th terrorist has something to do with the threat. It's a strange world. Cheers, Anthony. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, in terms of uh, some of the rugby now, Smithy, maybe uh, Lincoln McClutchy will go with Ozich to the Western Force. That's an interesting theory. That's uh, from Lance. Uh, Smithy, what ended up being the ruling of uh, Bop? Ended up winning an extra time, ran fairly shelled. Well, they took it, they would have taken it home. It would have been somewhere uh, in Mount Monganui at a pub by now, I would imagine. Uh, and uh, finally from Zane, and this makes me jealous, enjoying the show as I make my way around the lush fairways of Paraparaumu Beach Golf Club. A quick note on the footy. Uh, as a lifelong union fan, I've really struggled to get excited by rugby this year. The NRL has been an easier watch. That said... Uh, with the way the ABs have played these past few weeks, I have really found my love for the game again. Great to see all these exciting young guys coming through. That young hooker, uh, Tokiaho, we'll talk about him uh, very shortly with Justin Marshall, was outstanding on Saturday. He surely was. Multi-time very shortly here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Manly to beat the Roosters. Tick. Panthers to beat the Eels. Tick. Sale Sharks to beat the Bath. Tick. Breathe to beat Pole. Tick. Australia to beat the Springboks at 310. Tick. Result $9.19. Absolutely fantastic. I hope some of you got a little piece of that. $9.19.
tend to go better at the weekends when we avoid American sport, but we can't avoid it today because it's pretty much the only thing that's on. So today's multi is this, the Kansas City Chiefs, Mahomes to beat the Baltimore Ravens, $1.48. Colorado to beat the Vancouver Whitecaps, it's MLS Soccer, $1.53. And uh, further football, as we call it, uh, more tomorrow morning, these two, and they should be locks. Uh, Barcelona to beat Granada at $1.25. Benfica to beat Boa Vista at $1.14. Multi that up, nice little tidy start to the week would be $3.23. Uh, Justin Marshall after uh, the news at 10 o'clock. Uh, just how good were the All Blacks? How deep is the depth? Uh, how good were the Wallabies? And what do we look uh, for going forward to the 100th Test match this weekend between the Springboks and the All Blacks? Fascinating. Looking forward to talking uh, to one of our great halfbacks and Sky commentator as well, Justin Marshall. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Again, really quick ball for Barrett. Gets the offload away, but it's still alive for the All Blacks. They put it down, Rico Ioane is claiming it. It's there for Perinara. Finds Sevu Reese. Reese diving under. And Reese scores. Okay. Highlights of uh, something there that uh, we'll get to the bottom of it at some stage. But I'm pleased to know uh, that Justin Marshall was on the line. The All Blacks have all but wrapped up the rugby championship with two games to go after beating the Pumas. 36 to 13 Brisbane on Saturday night. Uh, amazing performance. Uh, and I, I look forward to, I guess, uh, at this stage to that monumental 100th test against the Springboks. Uh, good morning to you, Justin Marshall. Um, what uh, I continue to get out of this All Black squad is depth, and we saw it so apparently on Saturday night. Yeah, good morning, Yuri Smithy, and um, good morning to, to all your listeners out there. Uh, obviously, Sort of tapping into the All Blacks in a minute, you'll be a happy man um, with the result from yesterday with the, the mighty Hawks Bay holding on to the shield, which no doubt um, you celebrated over a cold beer with last night. But yeah, tapping into the All Blacks, geez, mate, um, what a difference a year makes, really. Like, uh, you know, around this time, sort of October um, last year when the All Blacks were over in Australia contesting the rugby championship, yes, minus the Springboks, um, it was a very sort of unsuccessful campaign, you would have to say, uh, and there were still question marks after the first letters low this year as well, and the performances maybe um, against you know, Fiji um, in particular, but uh, man, they have hit their straps, and you're absolutely right. We've just highlighted, particularly in recent weeks, the depth that we've got at the moment. So let's look at some of those uh, players that had their opportunity on Saturday night as genuine starters. Uh, Ethan Blackadder, I've actually got a text in as well from uh, PJ from uh, Tamuka, uh, has said, can I ask Justin about the performance of Ethan Blackadder? Yeah, look, I think what, what I've always thought, having watched uh, Ethan Blackadder's development, um, particularly once Scott Robertson got a hold of him at the Crusaders um, from Tasman, has been... A bit like, you know, it's awful when you make comparisons because, you know, Toddy, um, I played with him and he was all-black all captain and a very good player. But what he also was, was a traditional blindside flanker. He was the roll the sleeves up. 
get stuck in, run hard, tackle hard, hit hard, and just work work your ass off basically. And you see lots of those qualities in Ethan. That that that's the style of player he is. Um, had some trouble with injuries early in his career, which is never nice for a young player. Um, and he's not all that young anymore, but he certainly has found his mojo. Uh, he, what you like about him and the way that he plays is, as he plays the game in that traditional sense. Um, he's he's got a skill set as well to be able to offload the ball in the tackle and prior to the tackle, which is a rare commodity um, when you see some of the the the, the Lucy's playing the game in the Northern Hemisphere, where Southern Hemisphere players need to be able to do that. He certainly can do that as well as be tough. So he's very, very impressive, and he's exactly what we're after in that position, and he will make sure he keeps everyone honest to earn their selections because he's certainly warranting his at the moment with every performance. Samasoni, Toki Aho, uh, just seems to make every post a winner from the very first moment when he came on uh, uh, in Hamilton. All that, uh, all that time ago, he, he just seems to, to grow and, and learn. And, um, you know, we're, we're, without, we're without Dane Coles, but at the moment, he's filling that gap admirably. Yeah, and when, when you look at that situation, Smitty, and, and particularly um, in areas where people have to have a certain skill set, I think what um, Tolkiaho has done is when he's got into that environment, the All Blacks, I totally agree, he's... He's really learnt, but what he's learnt about is making sure that he fulfills every component of his game. And if I was perfectly honest, um, I always thought that he was uh, a pretty good scrummager uh, and that his line-out throwing was reasonably accurate. But his development since getting into that all-black environment, his scrummaging has definitely gone to a new level and I think the accuracy with his line-out throwing has improved. It, It can get better, but... He's always been an athlete. He's always going to be able to carry, um, hit hard, run hard. He's got a skill set, again, um, to be able to, to take on defenders and beat them. Um, and is, he's explosive. But the All Blacks very make, they're very regimented in making sure that you fulfill all your roles, honestly. And those set-piece orientated ones, and that, mate, that includes things like kickoff lifting. You know, like he's got to be in, be in position. Like hookers don't traditionally lift in the line-out, but when you're, when you're receiving kickoffs, he's got to make sure that he fulfills that role and, and gets that right. So I certainly think his development's been immense and he's only going to get better. Right, let's look at the halfback situation. Uh, TJ's performance, they've started him twice against um, Argentina. So uh, what, do, what do you think about um, where he's at and going forward to this weekend? What would be your preference? Well, again, another another player that's just continually um, getting getting better, and, that, and people probably going, how, "How does TJ get better? He's been in the All Blacks for, <laughs> for a long, very long time." But when I watched him come off the bench for his for his first game, um, I thought that he struggled a little bit with the pace of the game. Uh, but that that's always going to be the case when you go from playing club rugby in Japan to playing international rugby, and he hadn't had any um, any Aotearoa or Trans Tasman rugby. I think he'd had a club game maybe at most. So I certainly thought that he was short of a gallop, but he's only grown since then back to the player that he was before he left for Japan. Um, he certainly had, uh, he was always going to adapt reasonably quickly to the pace. Um, what, what I've been really impressed with was the, the quality of delivery. You know, we, we all know that Aaron Smith um, is the best in the world at what he does, and the All Blacks thrive off that and revolve their game plan off it. So if they get somebody, it's just you know, 20% off the mark in terms of getting to the breakdown, 
um, and, and delivering that ball so that they can get their pattern going, and the whole team will suffer. While the team haven't suffered, TJ's obviously recognised that he, he needs to be doing that um, as close as he can to what Aaron Smith does and then bring the other qualities that he's got that Aaron Smith doesn't have, which is his strength over the ball and, and probably his power through the tackle. And he certainly has delivered that. So I would suggest that that, that would have been the concern for, for Ian Foster leading into a game against the Springboks. They'll want to play an up-tempo, fast game. And if he was still not up to the mark there... He probably would have gone for a, a Brad Weber or a Finley Christie, but I think TJ's shown in the last two outings that he's, he's the man for them, and then they can inject that different type of player um, sort of in, in the latter parts of the second half. Despite Blackadder's uh, unbelievable performance at the weekend, do you still believe they'll go with uh, back to what they've had against Australia in particular with Papali'i, Akira Ioani, and Adi Sabia back to eight? you think that's the makeup of the three Lucys? Yeah, I'm not convinced on it, Smithy. If I was being perfectly honest, which which um, is a bit of a concern, but it hasn't let them down. Um, I, I certainly think the emergence of Akira Ioane, um and, and the way that he's playing has helped the balance of that loose forward trio, where, where effectively they got two open sides playing together. And you know, I'm again not convinced that Ardi is our, our genuine answer at number eight. But the way with the way Akira is playing is, and fulfilling his role, he, he's basically becoming the dominant ball runner, which a number eight traditionally in the past is. And because of that, it allows Artie to do what he does well, which is be a strength in and around the breakdowns where he carries as either a first receiver or he picks and goes. Um, and Papali'i to have a balance in his game where sometimes he's in the outside channel, other times he's tighter to the ball because Akira's all over the park. So... Yes, in a nutshell, the balance is working. Is it the future? I'm not 100% on that, um, but I think they'll stick with it for this big test match. What to do with Rico? That's the thing. You've got to play him. He's playing uh, exceptionally good football, but where do you play him? Do you reunite Leonard Brown and Harvili in the midfield, Rico on the wing, or what would be your preference there? Yeah, when a player's in form like he is, and, and the real positive about Rico and the way he's playing at the moment is he's being asked to fulfil those two roles, you know, slot into the wing or, or then move back to centre and they do have completely different um, you know, set of skills to be able to adapt to uh, you know, defensively in particular and he, he is managing to work between two of them incredibly well so I guess that's, that's the big uh, conundrum facing them right now because we've got some depth in the wings and the outside backs as well um, I really like the fact that they've, they've settled and players playing their main roles in their main position. So they're either going to select McKenzie or Geordie Barrett. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a big, uh, big positive and, and a step forward where they were putting Barrett on the wing last year. So, you know, it means do they shift Rico and either a Will Jordan or a Sevu Reese or a George Bridge misses out. It's a massive headache to have, but a bloody good one, to be honest. Um, mm. It's not like me, Smithy, but I've sat big time on the fence of you. I'm not sure what they're going to do there because he's playing so well at centre and he's a massive threat. And he, and the thing is, our wingers are scoring tries as well and he's distributing at the right time. So, you know, there, there's a real possibility they could start him at centre as well. So, yeah, I, I can't answer that one, but I think we're in a good place and whoever we put out there because the outside four are looking real dangerous for us. Has uh, Ian Foster's style of play come to the fore now? Are we are we happy that uh, we're starting to uh, to see 
um, what what his uh, his overall strategy has been. We're we're a little bit crit- uh, critical of him. Uh, he was always going to have a tough job convincing certain factions, but do you think he's done that? Yeah, I certainly think he has, and I think uh, what he's got is he's got his key decision makers um, falling in, into being able to adjust and adapt to the way that he wanted to control the game, and, and then getting his um, you know his players that revolve around that game plan to fall into their roles and, and believe in their roles. And, and again, Akira Ioane is a classic of that in the channels he's been operating in. Um, and, and in particular, when I say, you know, as generals pulling the trigger, you know, Richie Mwanga and, and, and Odin Barrett, now there's, there's a massive um, conundrum, isn't it? I know that, um, uh, that he's going to have to make that call at some stage where he's going to settle on that 10. And I certainly think that you can see in the way that Bowden Barrett's playing that he believes in the game plan, he believes in what they're trying to achieve out there. Um, you know, you, the, the fact that they've been faultless and haven't missed a beat when you take Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock and Richie Moanga, who were three of the big players in the mix um, during the Bledisloe Cup, and you, and you get them out of the mix, if the game plan's not working effectively, then it's, then it's going to have some problems and some hiccups, but it didn't miss a beat when Bowden slotted in, when TJ slotted in, um, you know, when you, when you had to make uh, other other changes around areas of, of the game like they did against Argentina, everybody is buying in. So, yes, I think they all believe in it. What do you make of the Springboks, Justin? Yeah, oh, look, I'm not convinced, Smithy. Um, I, I knew you being the... the immaculate broadcaster you are that that question was going to come at some stage so I sort of thought to myself I'll do some I'll do some research now I, I, I don't think that they are a team that knows the way that they want to play and where their strengths lie I watched them in the Lions series and thought they're trying to play territory but when you're getting the territory you're looking lost as to how to find your points and and times I saw Pollard kick bombs inside the 22 on attack now, that was just weird for me because it looked like a team that's not sure where their strengths lie. Now, here's, these are the stats that I came up with. So, South Africa, in their last five test matches, have scored eight tries. New Zealand, in their last five test matches, have scored 27 tries. Now, let's just throw some other team into the mix just to sort of give a comparison of where South Africa are at. So, I, I researched Australia. In their last five tests, they've, called, they've scored 16 tries. So South Africa is sitting on eight and not finding a way to get points. And for me, that's because I don't feel that they're sure where their strengths lie and how they should be playing. And, and that's a real concern because when they're getting into arm wrestles and test matches and they're not jumping out to a little lead, they're not being able to find a way to break teams down and, and it's costing them test matches. So I've got some real problems in front of them against a team that's going to come at them at 100 miles an hour who are scoring tries all over the park, who have a skill set from 1 to 15. I, I had a look at the pack that started at the weekend. Fermulin, Mostert and Khaleesi. Fermulin probably offloads the ball. Mostert and Khaleesi run hard. Um, Audi and Etzebeth in the second row, neither of them two are ball players. Malherba, uh, Indinkani and Imbanami. Imbanami will pass and, and, and give you the ball uh, you know, when, you, when you need it. But out of, out of those eight, I think there's only two in there that are genuine offloaders. So it makes them bloody predictable, mate. They're just going to run at you hard. Yeah, we know they're a physical side, but 
it means to me that they're very one-dimensional. So that's why I feel they're lacking a, a, a game plan and how they want to play. Is this the greatest rivalry still, uh, or is the Bledisloe Cup dwarf that? Uh, this this rivalry between South Africa and the All Blacks, 100th Test match coming in, uh, up bearing in mind? I think so, Smitty. Look, the, the All Blacks um, have always said that the Bledisloe is the, the trophy they cherish the most after the Rugby World Cup, and I, and I completely understand that. Uh, probably the biggest issue that, that, that is confronting them at the moment with that particular trophy and the importance of it versus a Springboks game is the success. You know, like 18 years of <laughs> holding on to the Bledisloe has made it a not, not really a contest. So South Africa have been a, a real foe and regularly do, regularly do beat us. When I say regularly, uh, you know, they're one of the teams in the world that can beat us on their day. And, and that's, yeah, that's that's a real compliment because the All Blacks are bloody hard to beat at the best of times. So yeah, I certainly think that them being World Cup champions, um, you know, they also the number one team ranked in the world, uh, and again that that Australian issue with them not being able to grab the Blethers office for so long, South Africa has taken that significance. So 100 Test matches between the two nations. There's so much history there. I know what it was like to try and win a Test Series in South Africa for the first time ever. We didn't have many things mm. in our history that we hadn't achieved, so not to do that until 1996 after all of our encounters shows how important um, their history is to them against the All Blacks. So yes, in my mind, at the moment, the way the current status of the game is, these are the, these, these are the biggest clashes. Justin, as always, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, also, thanks for doing that research. Um, and um, yeah, what's your next gig? Uh, when will we hear you again? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure at the moment, Smithy. Obviously, I'm I'm a bit like everybody else. We're in limbo, um, waiting to see when we move alert levels and when we can get back to regular work. So at the moment, um, there's a possibility I'm scheduled in to get to Auckland for the for this big test match at the weekend on Saturday. But that all revolves around um, a change in levels to level three for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to travel. So. The unknown is after that, but I'm pretty keen to get back on the tools. Um, great to see rugby again uh, over the last couple of weeks. It's been been nice to see it on our on our TVs, and uh, yes, be be nice to get to the venues for once. Yeah, uh, I can tell you, McLean Park was pretty cool yesterday. It was a nice little atmosphere there. Yeah, it was very cool, and what an intriguing game. But it was great to see. I know that there there was obviously not a Ramfrey Shield crowd there, but a scattering of people there that got. An entertaining afternoon and probably one that uh, had a few um, hearts and mouths at the time. But yeah, it was great to see afternoon rugby and um, a quality game as well. And the Ramfilly Shield delivering as it always does. Hey, and listen, just just finally, yay or nay? Uh, Ramfilly Shield goes to extra time or 80 minutes, 80 minutes? 80 minutes, 80 minutes. That's, that's history, that's tradition. So yay. Good on you, man. Good on you, as always. Justin Marshall, thanks mate, thank you I hope you get to to get to Auckland and uh, we can hear you this weekend for that 100th test match between um, the All Blacks and Springboks it'd be actually very appropriate if Justin was able to call that because uh, being part of that history back in 96, he knows the feeling, Uh, it is 10.21 here at uh, SENZ and we have a panel coming up very shortly to talk on various subjects. Uh, Pat McKendry, of course, is the Herald columnist, and Jeff McTainch from Sky Sport. Uh, Pat, uh, can I start with you? There we were Friday night 
sitting down to watch the Black Caps play against Pakistan and all hell literally did let loose. Uh, what's your read on this whole take and how it's been handled? Yeah, g'day guys. G'day Smithy. Um, look, I mean, obviously it's a very unfortunate series of events, isn't it? Um, with the uh, the Black Caps having to come home uh, with without a ball being bowled in, in the series uh, following a, uh, a security or intelligence uh, threat around a security threat. Um, look, I, th- I, I think the, the right decision has been made, obviously. Um, you know, we don't have to think too far back to what happened in 2009 in Sri Lanka when, when that bomb went off on the team bus and six policemen died and two civilians died. Um, you know, a terrible tragedy. So uh, 100%, I think the right decision's been made. It's unfortunate, obviously, for Pakistan and, and Pakistan cricket and, and their many fans around the world. But, um, it's uh, you know, safety comes first and I think the right decision's been made. Jeff, what scares me about this, you know, is that uh, I'm starting to think it was directed at us, not just a cricket team touring there. That, that's what worries me the, the most. Yeah, it is concerning, Smithy. G'day, Paddy. Um, and just to um, reiterate what, what, what Paddy said, I think the right call has been made, but um, without knowing the intricate details of, of the threat, um, that is that is concerning, Smithy. And, and, you, and you think about the world we live in these days with social media and the fact that some of these cricketers, you know, they have massive, massive profiles, obviously not just in New Zealand, but globally, worldwide, uh, you know, through India, obviously through Pakistan and, and, and right around the world. So, um, you know, there are, there are people out there that would, um, that, that, that would do something like this um, and, and target people directly. Um, as I say, without knowing the, um, the intricate details, I can't say that for sure, but um, you, you wouldn't think it's out of the... Um, it's uh, out of the world of possibility that that, that, that would have been the case. So, um, you know, David White, NZC, made the right call. I, I just I feel for the Black Caps too and Pakistan because obviously we've got the World 2020 around the corner and, um, and lead-in and prep and game time is, is, is so valuable. And, and you've got to feel for the fans too um, who would have liked to have, uh, have seen, the, the, seen the tour uh, take place. And, um, and as Paddy alluded to as well, you know, we've had problems in Pakistan in the past so you know this is a country this is a venue a location that's been rebuilding for for a long time obviously cricket wasn't played there for for a number of years um, as well so um, you know all of that considered it's disappointing it's a shame but I think ultimately the right call was made. Let's move on to the All Blacks Pat if uh, if we can I I totally agree with both you actually Uh, but as I said I'm very worried that this was personal and that was directed at a New Zealand team for some reason. Uh, that would that would really get to me. Um, quick answer: Ranfurly Shield uh, goes to extra time, Pat, or the Ranfurly Shield ends at eighty minutes. <laughs> has to has to end at eighty minutes, doesn't it, Smitty? Uh, that's that's been uh, that's been the case since the thing kicked off many many years ago. So I don't see any reason to change that. Um, you know, the draw means the holder holds on to it. Um, but what a game. Uh, and what a performance from Bay of Plenty to, to play that, uh, you know, that attacking footy and to get so close. They obviously outscored Hawks Bay five tries to three. And uh, just a word, too, on uh, Daryl Gibson, who's come through some fairly tough times over the ditch with the Waratahs and, and various places. And... He seems to be doing pretty well at Bay of Plenty, but well done, obviously, too, to, to Hawks Bay um, and, their, and their inspirational skipper, Ash Dixon. Love watching the guy play. I love listening to him 
uh, in the post-match interviews. He's a straight shooter. Uh, and so, yeah, um, congratulations to the Bay. Jeff McTainch, you were all over that anyway, I'm sure, with your, <laughs> you know, your background research on the, the rules of rugby, etc. You knew exactly what was happening, don't you? Do you believe it was right? Well, obviously that was the rule for, what, 120-odd years, um, as you guys talked about on the broadcast. So um, all things being equal, maybe they should have, uh, maybe that should have been the case, and then going into Golden Point just played for the, for the Bunnings NPC points. But, I mean, it made for a, it made for a spectacle. I, I, for one, watching on as a fan of rugby, was, was kind of pleased that um, it was still all to play for. But, um, you know, Paddy talks about... Um, Daryl Gibson, I, I was pleased uh, for, you know, Tian Falcon, you know, such a great name around Hawke's Bay with his father, of course, and the fact that he iced mm. that penalty just before full time to, to draw it up. And then you, you just feel for ba- the Bay of Plenty. I mean, when Hawke's Bay got inside their half at the end there, it's, it's just so hard to stop that black and white wave. And inevitably a penalty was going to come. And, and uh, you know, probably they were offside a few phases beforehand as well. So a uh, heck of an effort. And... Um, you know, great game of rugby, but um, yeah, I think the right call was made, maybe for the for the fans and the spectacle to let it play on. But I think they'll probably have a closer look at that. Tasman up next for Hawks Bay. That's their next challenge in a few weeks' time at McLean Park. So that'll be a hell of a game. Um, and if they get some fans back uh, as well, I'd say that it'd uh, certainly aid the Magpies. But I uh, know it's a heck of a game, that's for sure. Stay with us, fellas. Uh, more to talk about, particularly the All Blacks and the depth that they possess at the moment. It's 10.32 here on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Pat McKendry McKendry and Jeff McTainch with us this morning. Jeff, uh, that all-black performance, uh, I I won't say it was surprising, but what is is the staggering amount of depth we have uh, in rugby. It's hard to compare eras, but have we been stronger in terms of all-round depth? I don't think we have, Smithy. Um, as I say, to make all of those changes for that second test against Argentina and for the All Blacks to play as well as they did again, um, you maybe would have thought that Argentina might have taken um, a bit out of that first test and tweaked, tweaked things somewhat, but such was the overwhelming dominance of that All Blacks team. Um, and I think, in particular, if you want to look, look at players um, and, and you talk about that depth, well, we look at the, the loose trio that... Ian Foster and, and the co-coaches have at their disposal. And Ethan Blackadder, and the way he played, um, obviously he's from good stock, but I just thought that really just showed the, the depth of, uh, of, uh, of talent in New Zealand rugby at the moment. You get a guy like that playing as well as he did against, let's be honest, an Argentinian pack who, um, who certainly had uh, you know, plenty of beef in that uh, front eight as well with uh, Matera and you know, Lavanini, who I thought had two pretty good games. So... Um, you know, and you bring you bring guys back into the fold, Joe Moody, Offatonga Fassi, I mean guys have been out with injury as well and, and Quinto Pai getting another crack. Um yeah, it's 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 pleasing to see and um it's gonna be a heck of a test against the Springboks. Pat, what what impressed you the most about the whole deal at the weekend? Yeah, I, I agree with Jeff. Um eleven changes, um and, and the way they clicked from the first whistle. Uh, again, there was a statement of intent, wasn't there, from the kickoff, uh, and Joe Moody um, went barreling in a bit like Nipo Lalala last week. Um, but it's just they seem to have the ability just to, to um, almost interchangeable these days of players, aren't they? And they, I think that's down to the environment uh, in which 
uh, Ian Foster and co have created where everyone feels um, comfortable expressing themselves. Uh, but it's also the game plan, I think, and um, it's a fairly straightforward one, uh, but it's it's extremely effective. It's you know it's all about obviously pace and up tempo and handling, and I think the All Blacks do that better than anyone else in the world at the moment easily. Um, and so uh, one one guy that we haven't mentioned um, is, is a lock, uh, uh, Vai, who I thought was really good as well. Um, so they're just they're virtually interchangeable, which is incredible. Um, and it, it, it does bode well. You know, we thought that, you know, potentially uh, the Pumas might be um, a bit troublesome after what happened last year uh, with their big pack and, and um, the way they contest the breakdown and slow the, slow the ball down. But the, uh, the All Blacks just blew them away. And, and I know that final quarter was a bit untidy from an All Blacks perspective, but um, I think the Pumas deserve a bit of credit there for the way they came back. Uh Pat, on a, a different subject, uh, Joe Parker, Derek Chisora. Uh, looking forward to that again. It seems like uh, ages ago, and uh, that ended with a bit of controversy, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe Parker, Kiwi heavyweight, um, he was knocked down within the first 10 seconds of the fight, which was extraordinary. Uh, but he sort of battled back, and um, he came out on top, according to the judges. I actually thought... Desora was a bit unlucky in that fight. I, I probably had him shading it, um, but uh, but but Joe um, obviously he he didn't have long to train with his new coach Andy Lee. Uh, that may have been a factor. Um, I, I don't think he was probably quite fit enough at the end when he had Chisora in trouble and he and he didn't sort of press home at his advantage. Uh, and so you know I'll be looking for. Um, signs of improvement this time and so so will Parker and Lee I think um, obviously Parker's just signed a one fight extension with Eddie Hearn's matchroom group um, so yeah it's, it's very important that he wins it uh, and it's it's uh, almost equally as important that he wins it well. Jeff uh, in terms of um, obviously you're stuck in Auckland um, under the uh, level four restrictions if it was to go to level three this afternoon how does your position as a roving commentator sit? That's a really good question, mate. I, I, um, I presume it's very similar to, to Level 4. Um, as, um, as people sort of say, Level 3 is Level 4 with takeaways, isn't it? So I'm not too sure what that does. I mean, I, I guess if we have the uh, exemptions for work, we potentially could, could travel around. Um, I'm, I'm vaccinated, so I'm not sure whether that comes into the equation. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, actually, Smithy. OK, on that subject, then. Uh, just say, just say it's uh, level three, uh, level four with takeaways. We've been asking people uh, on the panel what they're looking forward to most. What is your number one choice when you get a chance to order it in or maybe get out and, or do something different? What, come on, what's your number one choice, Jeff? I'll probably say a um, bit of the old dirty bird, mate, KFC. I've, uh, we've had... Um We've had the food bag thing coming on on the weekends, and, and it's been quite good, actually, not having to go to the supermarket. But, yeah, getting getting some K-Fry would be um, probably top of my list. What do you reckon, Paddy? Uh, mate, I'm a, I'm a fan of supporting local businesses. So um, <laughs> I would be... I, I'd be indulging in a, in a fish masala uh, from the uh, local Indian, who's really good, actually. Um, 
you know, it's pretty tough on these small businesses. So I, I think um, I think it would be great if people in Auckland um, did do that rather than the uh, the big fast food joints. So Pat, okay, that would be a fish me. I'm go for the Indian. <laughs> oh, good on you. Good on you. You're an e- you're an easy sell, McTainch. I can tell you that. Hey, Pat. So uh, on that. On that, Pat, it'll be a fish masala large, yeah, to support the business? Uh, yeah, why not? Look, I normally share it with my wife, to be fair. Um, but, uh, yeah, I might push the boat out, get a few nans, um, all the trimmings, obviously. Why not? I think you talked me into it. Yeah. Oh, no. What would your choice be, Smithy? Oh, look, I, I, we're out. We've been out long ago, mate. I've... Can yeah. I make you jealous and say, I've yeah. gone the whole spectrum. I've gone the whole spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good I'm on you, sorry. mate. Well done. I, I'm, I'm yeah, right. sorry about that, fellas. But, uh, hey, look, the, the smell of the curry, I've got it. And even the smell of the KFC, the dirty bird, I've got that as well. So whatever it is, fellas, uh, enjoy it. And thank you very much for your time this morning. Outstanding contributions on the panel as usual. 10.42 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Text coming in this morning uh, on uh, mostly uh, the rugby at the moment. That's the talking point. How strong are we and what are we going to do for this weekend? Um, Hi, Smithy JD. Uh, AB's good. Wouldn't it be great, though, if Tongan born and raised Tokiaho and Vai played for Tonga to make them strong. Isn't that what international rugby needs? Sure is, Anthony. Not sure it's going to happen now that they've got the door open for the All Blacks. I'm not sure that they're prepared to walk through the Tongan door, and I understand why. Um, hey, Smithy, says Fergus. Good to hear from you, Fergus. These uh, The depth in these combinations, the All Blacks might have depth, but where are the combinations? We haven't had a settled midfield back three or loose trio since... 2015 World Cup, need to start building combos, okay, um, well, I think the signs are there, I think the loose forward trio as such, uh, that has uh, been very successful prior to the Argentinian two matches, uh, I think they'll probably start at the weekend, that's some semblance of uh, of what's going on there, uh, Smitty, I reckon the All Blacks should pick the outside backs that are best at catching the high ball, because uh, we know what's coming with South Africa, we have to pick horses for courses, that's James. Uh, Smithy, uh, just to say, enjoy the last few weeks with the Shield. I hear there's a shark attack headed for Hawke's Bay. Um, that, that's not your number, John, is it? It <laughs> could easily be, else. Smithy. I could see why you're confused, <laughs> but no. That is uh, just one of the many Tasman fans who are licking their lips at just the third ever Shield challenge that Tasman's had in their whole history, Smithy. So you can reflect and bathe yeah. in the glory of being the Bay for a while, but look out because Golden Bay's coming your way. At least 12 months. So, oh, okay, we'll cop this one from Chase Waiuku. Hey, John Day. I hope Manly are enjoying their pre-season, which starts on Saturday. <laughs> oh, come on, Chase. Oh, the bunnies aren't that good, are they? Or are they? Maybe they are. Friday well, night. Looking forward to that uh, and our chat with Vossi, which will be in about 15 minutes, Smithy. Yeah, uh, Andrew Voss with us uh, after 11 o'clock this morning with his usual uh, Monday morning summary of what happened as uh, we also look forward to uh, to what's coming up. It is so exciting, and the quality, the cream, has certainly come to the top. 10.49 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. 
your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Good morning to you, Louis Herman. What did Group 1 Racing let you down or live up to expectations? Oh, Smithy, it didn't let me down. I mean, it, it, how could it ever let you down? It's just so pure when spring is in the air. I thought the track played superbly well. I really did. I thought the track was great after so much chatter about we're going to get a heavy or we're going to get a soft. I thought, yeah, okay, it was soft, but it was probably, what, a soft seven? I think the senior jocks were saying. Mm. And cool sign Mav. Uh, I mean, it's just a superb training effort by a guy who knows this horse, gave it the extra trial, which was much talked about, and it was just fit, clear top pick once Avantage come out, but just ridden to perfection by Riddell as well. And um, look, a great result for people down your way. How was JB at the pub yesterday? Was he up and about? Group one, John? Yeah, had a, a bit of a tab going, which was great. So very generous. We copped a little bit of the profits of that, which was outstanding. And uh, he was pretty bullish. And, of course, uh, plans going ahead. Um, maybe for the Cox Plate, well, 51 bucks going into that race. It wouldn't be that now in that performance, I wouldn't think. And perhaps a, another start second day of the carnival, Louis, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, so uh, what do we think? It was 81s, 100 to 1, then 81s. And then when J- John said that to us on Saturday, and now it's at 51s or thereabouts. So, you know, the money has come, and fair enough, too. Oh, look, is Coolside is, is Mav going to win a Cox Plate? Probably not. I mean, it's an extremely hard race to do. But what you have is a trainer who understands what the horse needs, and you've got a horse that is extremely competitive at Group 1 level and a top, proper Group 1 horse. Smithy, can I just play you this quickly? Beaumont tries hard. Sharky through the middle late. But it's Alchemia in front. For Team Alexander, Express Desire Beaumont. Look at Sakura Blossom. This is amazing. Look at it fly. They can't do that, but it did. Sakura Blossom, unbelievable. Um, Sakura Blossom, Ben Foote has this filly here who is does everything wrong. She's still learning to race. McNabb was on, and the look on Michael McNabb's face afterwards was what the bloody hell just happened. She grew wings and took off. T. Lee was right. Um, uh, can I ask you this question then? What about Jamie Carr? Uh, are you up with the latest development here? She's copped an extra couple of months because she didn't divulge to the powers that be that Mark Zara was actually at her party. Have you read that? An oh. extra couple of months for Jamie. Potentially about a million bucks worth of stakes she'll miss out on. Well, look, here's the thing. Don't be an idiot and then don't lie about being an idiot. I mean, like, I can't feel too sorry for her and now she's lodging Supreme Court appeal. I mean, all these jockeys, they get paid so well for, yeah, doing something that's terribly dangerous, but you're just human. you like the rest of us. you got your punishments. Just tell the truth. Own up. And also, look, yeah, no, no, I, I've got no sympathy, Smithy. None. None at all? None. None whatsoever. What did, well, okay, let's uh, talk about the, the, the two cl- really clubs. I mean, a tissue was outstanding. I know you've had, mm-hmm. you had uh, the connections on this morning, which was great. Uh, probably was always a slightly up against it, I think, with um, you know, the barrier draw, the weight, etc. there. Um, and, and the other one, run, of course, was very elegant. Very elegant. Uh, nine group ones now. Uh, what can you say? She wanted to win. James McDonald took her back to the inside where it was chopped up. Didn't matter. She loved it. And Probabil, um, maybe appear too far back on the rail once she got out. The momentum was coming down the outside. Who knows? That part of the track wasn't great. I think the track suited. Maybe not preferable, but it was okay. But just not her day. She'll be back. 
Chris's Mornings with Ian Smith. Our rugby league t- time now, as usual, uh, at 11 o'clock on Monday mornings. We catch up with uh, Andrew Vice Fresh from his breakfast show in Australia. Uh, and now there are four, of course. We're down to the wire. Two more weeks to go to decide who will be this year's Premiership winner. Um, and Vossi, of course, was heavily involved uh, looking at those games over the weekend. Manly, the Rabbits, the Storm, the Panthers. I, I, I guess uh, you have to say, Vossi, they deserve to be there. They've done the hard work at the right time. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning to all our listeners. That, that is the top four at the end of the regular season. And we've, all, we've sort of had this... Um, clear-cut top six for a long time. The Roosters and Parramatta added to that. But going into the finals, I think you know that's, that's your best four. Melbourne had finished level on points with Penrith. Rabbitohs were a clear-cut third. Manly played their way into fourth position. And, and you're right. I, you know, if you want to... Parramatta probably saying, oh, <laughs> I don't agree with that. But you know, I think the top four deserve to be playing this weekend in the preliminary finals based on their efforts across the entire season. Um, but Parramatta, of course, do have a, a story to tell out of Saturday night. Could have, maybe, all of those things, but, but didn't quite get it done. OK, let's, uh, while you bring that up, let, let's, uh, we'll go back to front this morning. 8-6, uh, the Panthers over the Eels, really close. Some people saying that the officiating didn't exactly go uh, Parramatta's way. I, I saw one play involving Mitch Moses when he was held back, um, yep. which looked like they were really stiff, really stiff. Yeah, look, I can I say this? I mean, I have to respect you as a bloke who was calling the play-by-play. I was so captivated with the game that it'll be a game that I remember for a long, long time. It was so good. It was compelling from the opening set of the game where they were smashing each other. They were still smashing each other, figuratively, in the last minute of play. You did not know what was going to happen next in the game. To think that we could have a scoreless second half, we could have a match with only two tries scored, when all year we've banged on about rule changes and it's changed the fabric of the game. I mean, this was just a classic semi-final game. So I was sort of removed from the controversy as it unfolded because I was so engrossed with the game. And, I, you know, I, I, I really am glass half full rather than glass half empty. I now review the game and I see controversial moments, but, you know, you could break the game down into, into 50 moments, you know, with players included. I mean, the dummy half player Parramatta, sadly for Ray Stone, was very costly for them. You know, their third, fourth choice hooker. Um, moments where I thought Jerome Luai could have done better. There were kicks that could have been executed better, but it was all done under pressure. You know, and the referees are not, you know, the players are not the only ones under pressure. The referees in that instance are also under pressure. So I'd, I'd probably rather go on the quality of the game and Parramatta if they could sit back after the disappointment and say, be really proud of their performance. And I mean, that was a hell of a finals match. Parramatta was great. And Penrith were great. And all the difference was, was a penalty goal that was kicked in the 40th minute. Quite an incredible contest, an epic contest. I watched Ivan Cleary's presser. He was, um, I guess he was satisfied to a, a small degree that they're, they're through. Um, but he was, um, he was saying they need serious improvement uh, in terms of their finishing because uh, they had opportunities. Well, you can't get away from the fact that they have only scored two tries the first two weeks of the finals, and yet they find themselves in the preliminary final. It's, you know, and I had um, Matty Johns and Cameron Smith on my breakfast show here this morning 
and I put to them, rather than get a tip, how many points will it take Penrith to win um, this weekend? And, and the you know, opinion is it's going to take more than 20. So that means they're going to have to get four tries. So they're going to have to score double the number of tries they've scored in the first two weeks. And for that to happen, Nathan Cleary has to be at the top of his game. Now, I've got no doubt at all, and it's not a secret, he's got the bung shoulder. So he's got to sort of put that aside and, and, and lead this team, take absolute reins of the side. But Jerome Luai also has to step up um, and, and back himself, you know, bring his running game back. Uh, and then plays like Viliami Kikau. I mean, I, I think he's been, dare I say, a little timid. You know, he hasn't been destroying. He hasn't been tackle-busting. I mean, James Fisher-Harris, you know, I, I put him up there as one of the best front rowers in the game. But the last two weeks... They have not been big match performances. So there's a lot of individuals at Penrith that need to review their own role. If they can all get better by, you know, 10%, 20%, then Penrith's right in the mix. But unless that happens, Melbourne will be through to the grand final and, and favourites again. So we go back to Friday night, and that was a serious flogging, 42-6. to <laughs> six. Uh, Just a bridge too far, was it? If you look at the Roosters, no Corden and O'Keary. Tokiaho was not there. Brett Morris, Manu, Collins... Just a bridge too far for them? Well, they would have fancied their chances, um, you know, before the game. They're thinking, well, we're here, we're a chance, we're resilient and all of that. And then after 16 minutes, Manly had three tries on the board. It was the fifth minute, the 11th minute, the 16th minute. You know, they're blown off the field and it, it sort of set in pretty quickly that we just, you know, this is it. This is the end of the line and, and 42 to 6 was the result. That can happen this end of the season. Once you lose a little bit of emotion out of the game, you lose touch, then you're not going to get that, that amazing fight back. Um, Manly just showed us what they are capable of. Again, they will be a serious threat to South Sydney. Yes, it's an advantage to have a week off, but Manly, whereas, whereas I have a question mark on Penrith as to how many points they can score against Melbourne, that's the fear for the Rabbitohs, the Manly ability to score points. And if, you know, if Manly get an even share of possession, forwards do their bit. The Tom Trebojevic show is suddenly on. Uh, I give Manly an enormous chance. I've got, I've got Friday night even money, Rabbitohs and Manly. I, I, I certainly do not have the Rabbitohs as a clear-cut favourite, whereas I do have Melbourne as a favourite to beat the Panthers on Saturday afternoon. It signalled the end of uh, the Morris Twins. Um, it, uh, it seems we won't be seeing them run round again. They've been, well, I won't say an institution, but very, very recognisable all the time, and I say that in the kindest <laughs> way, uh, as great <laughs> contributors, haven't they? There's a bit of a pun of that, recognisable, because you see them twice as much as anyone else because they're identical twins. Um, <laughs> they are an amazing story. They, they really are. The fact that their dad, Steve, was such a champion player and a, and a former Dalian medal winner um, and, and scored over 100 tries of his own. And then, you know, you think of Brett and Josh and you think of tries. Um, sadly for Josh, no premiership in his career. Um, so he's one of those ones, you know, best players not to win a comp. He goes into that category now as a star player. His brother was able to win a couple. Um, but, um, no, they've, they've, been, they've been really good for the game. Has anyone got any crap on them? No. You know what I mean? They are just uh, from, from country parts of New South Wales, the south coast of New South Wales, that went all the way through their careers and played for state and country and did so incredibly well. Yeah, no, outstanding players, great storyline. Um, when's the next lot of identical twins going to come to the fore like Josh and, uh, like Josh and Brett have? It, it might be a while. Mm. Got a, a text in for you in particular, Vossi. Uh, I've got to ask you if you think that Ash Taylor is going to, going to be coming to the Warriors. Have you heard anything there? And is he a good signing 
Also heard that uh, Manata Nikawara from the Eels has signed for the Warriors. Any substance to those little rumours? Oh, well, well, he'd be a fantastic signing from Parramatta. I mean, if you want some grunt, and I know he, he can run a fine line, and he did again the other night. He has been charged with a high tackle as well. That will see him miss at least the opening game of next season. But no, I think a very good forward. And, it, and, and early in the season, even, you know, pinch hitter in the centres as well was, was very good. But back raised his position and improving um, and, and got better this year. So he would be a terrific signing. Ash Taylor would, would totally depend on the price. I, I, I don't think, with the greatest of fairness to Ash, um, you'd be paying all that much. I mean, he has to rebuild his career now, Ash Taylor. Uh, from the million-dollar contract to the Titans, he has to almost go back to square one to prove himself. And, yes, there have been some discussions, we're told, up on the Gold Coast they did get together. Um, Warriors, uh, Nathan Brown and, um, and Ash Taylor. So a chat to see where they're at. But, um, yeah, Ash Taylor would be signed as a, well, let's see how things pan out. Maybe an incentive-based contract. You know, play X amount of games in season one and we'll, we'll increase your money season two. But I, you know, I, I couldn't get him at a big price at the moment, Ash Taylor. It's the end of uh, Tedesco's season, of course. Uh, where are we sitting in your mind, Dally M material? Uh, that, well, he, he will have polled well again. And last night, I should tell you, if you're not aware, Smithy, he did win the, uh, the Roosters Player of the Year again, the uh, Jack Gibson medal that is at the Roosters. They had that um, streamed out, the Roosters Awards. But I do think Tom Travoyge does win it. Of course, voting stopped at the end of regular season. Um, and, and Tom had only played 15 matches. But in that 15 matches, any game that he's played in a winning side, I think he got the three points. So, so, so I just think it's just been outrageously good this season of Tom Trebojevic. He's my Dally M medal chip. But, of course, the Dally M's go over two Monday nights. They're on tonight and next Monday night. So you won't actually find the, the outright winner of the Dally M medal until uh, next week. But I'm thinking it'll be Tom Trebojevic, but James Tedesco is certainly in the mix. Nathan Cleary would have polled well, but missed some games through injury. Um, but, you know, there's they're three very good players right there. Outstanding players right there. OK, Friday night, Rabbitohs, Sea Eagles. What is Wayne Bennett concocting as we speak? Well, what, Wayne Bennett and Des Hasler. you got you got two mad scientists going head-to-head. I mean, someone said on our, our radio show here this morning that, that we need to get a psychologist as part of the expert commentary team this weekend to basically break down what these two blokes will say after the game. Um, Des is in his own world. He won't play any games with Wayne Bennett. Wayne might throw, you know, a bit of Burley out there later in the week, a bit of a distracting story. Um, Being there, done that thousand times around the block. Des has done the same. I'm going to be intrigued to see what Wayne Bennett comes up with to stop Tom Trevojevic. I mean, what a test of the 71-year-old. Craig Bellamy produced the game plan week one. Can Wayne Bennett do the same with his players? Um, that's going to be an intriguing element to it. Bring it on. Um, they're both treasures of the game. I love both of them. You know, I'd, we'd be lost without them. How, how would you ever replace Wayne Bennett or Des Hasler? They're great mm. characters for our game with sensational records, and here they are again at the business end of the season with their sides. Well done to both fellas. Well, how can you replace Craig Bellamy? I mean, you can't, can you? Well, with that right. record and the, you know, and that those expressions and those those classic shots of uh, him. <laughs> Uh, and the co- and the coaches box they're, they're they're legendary so I would imagine unless things uh, go horribly wrong uh, he'll be more smiles than scowls this Saturday night. Well, actually, it's an interesting point you raised, Smithy. Just on the four coaches that we have left with Bellamy v Cleary and Bennett v Haslight, then I'm I'm just trying to think there might be there'd be over two thousand first grade games experience between the four of them. I mean, it says something, doesn't it? You know, compared to the rookie coach. Mm-hmm. 
we have um, well our well we in Bennett and Bellamy, you know, our oldest coaches uh, are involved in end of season matches, and Des Hasler would be up there as well. I think he, I, I think we might have the one, two, three in the oldest coaches in the NRL. Um, so, you know, that that's that's quite an achievement. Um, experience does count for plenty. I'm sure they've already. I'm sure they already know what they're going to say to their team, you know, their last words this week. That's where the experience kicks in, um, and they'll have their teams ready. I, I can't see... I, I'd be very surprised if any of the four teams puts in a poor performance this week. I think, you know, they mightn't be at their absolute best, as in Penrith mightn't produce their best that we've seen during the year, but I'd be very surprised if any of the four played poorly. And which, um, which one are we hearing your dulcet tones, or both? Well, I don't know yet. I don't know. They keep us in suspense at Fox League, so I, I don't know. What I will tell you is that the ratings have been uh, very good, whether it's a, a factor of lockdown as well. They are it's extraordinary circumstances here and, and there, of course, as well. But here in Australia, you know, New South Wales in lockdown, uh, Melbourne in lockdown, so there was a good viewership over the weekend. But the Saturday night game, Penrith v Parramatta, was the highest rating pay TV game of all time. So, you know, the highest rating ever. Um, the, the Parramatta Penrith game. So let's hope we can build on that this weekend with a couple of thrillers. Um, and New Zealand time, it's, it's late on Friday night, but it's certainly a New Zealand-friendly time on Saturday uh, with a 4 o'clock uh, local kickoff here um, between, uh, between Melbourne and the Panthers. So prime time viewing Saturday evening uh, in New Zealand for the Storm and the Panthers. Vossi, on the rating subject, would you have any idea how these rug, rugby double headers are going? Uh, well, here, well, uh, look, they were happy, like the Australian rugby people were happy with a figure they got here on Saturday, South Africa and Australia, but it was over a million less than the rugby league. So that's a concern, but they were greater numbers than they'd had previously. So um, people are telling me that the, the television deal they signed this year has been better for uh, rugby. Um, and it certainly helps from, from an Australian viewpoint when, when the Wallabies actually winning. They got a little bit of momentum out of the previous week, and it's nice to be able to talk about things like Quade Cooper and some positive stories rather than for a few years there. The only Blake who got headlines in rugby union here in Australia was Israel Folau. It was never for the right reason. So there's been some positivity around rugby union. It'd be nice to build on it. Vossi, as always, mate, we look forward to whichever game you call, maybe both. That would be my preference, but... Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that'll be the case, but anyway, uh, hey, thanks for your contribution, uh, as always, and your updates on everything that is league. Travel well during the week, sir. Good on you, Smitty. Good on you, man. Uh, it's Andrew Voss, of course. Uh, what he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. He knows everything about rugby league, and we're so lucky to have him as part of the SENZ team. It's 11.17 here on the same station. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, there was some good news in terms of cricket. There was some played overnight, uh, a little bit of uh, IPL stuff uh, um, coming up in particular. Uh, now that the CPL is over, so uh, in earnest, they're going to be taking part there. Of course, uh, not good news in terms of uh, where the Black Caps were, are at. They're out safely, but uh, the tour of Pakistan has been Abandoned, uh, Charlie Dean, uh, the English woman, produced a sub superb spell to help uh, England edge out New Zealand by 13 runs in a tense second one-day international. It was uh, governed by the Duckworth-Lewis system. Dean took four for 36 in only her second match uh, as uh, the 
White Ferns chasing a revised 183 from 42 overs fell short. Uh, and therefore, the, just another one to add to, to the, the run of losses they've had. So uh, getting closer. I, I, I was saying they're not getting thumped. They're not getting absolutely done. And I, I hope, certainly hope they're getting some confidence out of what's going on. Uh, some better news too, uh, and I'm very, very pleased about this, on the Chris Cairns front. In fact, uh, he was able to, to talk and, and, and give a little message himself. Hi, everybody. Uh, just over six weeks ago, I suffered a type A aortic dissection, uh, which essentially means um, uh, there's a tear in one of the major arteries of the, of the heart. Uh, I had several surgeries and grafts, and very thankfully, the specialists were able to, to save the heart itself. Uh, one of the complications that arose was a spinal stroke, uh, which in itself will provide me with possibly the greatest challenge that I've ever faced in rehab going forward. Um, huge thanks to uh, the team here in Canberra, at Canberra Hospital, uh, to St Vincent's in Sydney, uh, the surgeons, the doctors, the nurses, the specialists. Um, uh, you saved my life. Uh, thanks also to all the well wishes that have been sent through to Mel, my wife and I. Um, uplifting, humbling um, and so, so special. I'll keep posting uh, to keep you along on the journey as it goes, but please, thank you so much and much love to everybody. Well, what I like about that is he sounds good. He sounds uh, a little bit like the old Chris Cairns that I uh, used to know and I used to commentate with. So uh, that's good. That's that's the real plus there. Uh, and, you know, he, he sounds as if he's got a plan, which is good too, which means uh, he's looking forward to the future. So that is very, very, uh, very good news. I know he's had issues. I know it's been so well publicised over the years that he has had uh, issues in, um, in his life, etc., um, and, and you know we, we, we all know that because it's not, none of it's been hidden um, but at the end of the day life's a bigger thing than that it's a much better thing than that we've seen that with, also uh, with the black caps uh, in Pakistan or out of Pakistan life absolutely, absolutely um, knocks over sport any day of the week so uh, from Chris Cairns' point of view I find that exactly the news I wanted to hear John very very good indeed yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Uh, uh, I, I'm keen to let like bygones be bygones with what happened with Chris off the field. It was after his New Zealand career. I don't think that uh, uh, tarnished his career at all, what happened after that. But it seems like we weren't keen to let him off the hook here in New Zealand. So he went over to Canberra to restart his life. And then this happened, this major health event. And man, Smithy, it was not looking good. Like the early reports we were getting... It was really, really not looking good. So to see him, to hear him um, in good spirits, uh, yeah, and what a spinal cord injury now to get over. He needs to learn how to walk again pretty much. So a lot of uh, things in front of Chris Keynes, but good to hear he's still with us. And uh, he's one of my favourite players growing up. So good to hear from him there, yeah, Smithy. Well, he's unbelievably good all-rounder, a world-class all-rounder with a number of records to his name, particularly in the six-hitting department. Uh, incredibly good player. One of those guys, like his old man actually, like Lance, is that you just didn't want to be at the bar buying a beer while the, one of the Kansas was at the wicket, just in case you missed that one that went about 110 metres that they'll talk about and you were trying to get a cold one at the time. So uh, yeah, those, those kind of players. And yeah, good for him, uh, good for Lance, good for Sue, and good for all uh, those relations and close friends of, of Chris Cairns that it's starting to look a good deal better than it was. Right, um, I've got a text in from Marty in Dunedin. Your thoughts on the cancellation of the Pakistan tour and how you think it will affect future series between the nations? 
Uh, also, when you toured, were there any countries that you felt unsafe? I, I, I'm not sure felt unsafe. Uh, we were pretty well looked after. We had a lot of security in Pakistan in 1984-1990. Never really felt uh, that we were under pressure too much. Maybe one game in a place where uh, we played in Multan. Um, we weren't able to stay there. We had to stay at uh, the Peshaw, uh what is it? Bhubaneswa. Uh, Bhubaneswa. No, it wasn't Bhubaneswa. It'll come to me anyway. Um, anyway, uh, we stayed at uh, Bahawalpur guest house, which was average. I mean, below average. Where a trickle of water uh, coming out of the shower was gold. Um, and we did actually at one stage uh, stand on beds with our, our, our cricket bats uh, in pursuit of a rat, a, a quite decent sized rat as well. And that was like fantastic sort of way to pass the time actually. Pretty boring. But they sold for this game, they sold tickets, about six or 7,000 tickets to a 5,000 maximum game. So at one point they were coming over the walls. And so you felt just a little bit worried about that. So, um, but they had that situation under control. We lost, just by the by, we lost. Um, we uh, actually batted first, and when we batted first, the boundaries were at the max. You know, the white line and the rope, and that was the boundary. But by the time when they batted, of course, they'd, all the extra people had come in and they were sitting around the thing, so the boundary actually, the human boundary had come in uh, by about five metres. So uh, we were up against it a bit, a wee bit there to win that one. I remember after a game in Candy in 1984, um, we won and... Uh, we, we did incredibly well on the back of Sri Lanka doing well. It was very close and quite nervous, actually. We thought we might get knocked over. Uh, but Stephen Bock and, and Richard Hadley came to the fore. We actually won the game, uh, and the crowd went nuts. They rioted, and we were locked in the changing room for about an hour, hour and a half, and we could hear uh, bottles and things being thrown against the wall outside. And uh, But it, uh, we were told it wasn't us they were after. It was the local team that had let them down. So, you know, every now and then... Every now and then you get these these uh, little stories when you're away on tour, but nothing to this uh, to this effect apart from the fact that I, I was in Colombo. Uh, when a, a general, um, an army general, was targeted, he was in a market uh, down by the railway station in Colombo, and uh, they it was a very very sizable bomb. I mean, a sizable bomb went off, killing uh, and maiming hundreds of people. And at that point, cricket is so far from your mind. You just want to get out of there. That's the key. That's the Kiwi way. We're not used to it, and uh, I can understand everything that's gone on in the last two to three days. Radio on better news, better subject. Yep, lines are lighting up. Uh, it's eleven thirty here on SENZ. Time to get some money in your phone accounts. Stump Smithy. Good luck. Ooh, uh, wasn't a Southlander. Wasn't a Southlander. I'll just go with uh, probably well and truly nowhere near it, but I'll say John Leslie. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the oh, slot, God. and away it goes. <laughs> Smithy's face is like you just sucked a lemon, Smithy. Oh, that's absolutely outrageous. Where'd that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Reid, where did that come from? John Leslie, one of the greats. Yeah, wow, exactly. Yep. <laughs> That's all you need to know. All right, question number two. Who was the inaugural captain of the Blues? Uh, I'll go uh, Sean Fitzpatrick. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. I would have gone Sean Fitzpatrick as well, but it's not correct, so Smithy a chance for a stumping. Zinzan. There he goes! All the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting cricket ball. Oh, and Smithy punching the air with delight. His first stumping coming early on a Monday. Unlucky, Reid. It was Zinzan Brook. Well done, well done. Yeah, man. Bugger, Thanks, eh? Yeah. We'll hear from you. <laughs> we'll hear from you again, mate. You're one of our, you're one of our favourites, man, from so far away. So uh, stay well and, yeah, and keep keep, contrib keep contributing. We, we value it. Thank you. All right. So Reid's gone, but Alan from Fakatani, which isn't the bay anymore. Alan, welcome into the show. <laughs> we'll always be the bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Tui Billboard. Classic. Yeah. All right. Then you're going to get rugby questions as well, and you just need to get one right, Alan, for the 50 bucks from the TAB. Your question okay. is... Might keep it local for you as well. Who was the inaugural captain of the Chiefs? Uh, um, well, I mean, back then I, 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 I was, wasn't Chiefs. Um, <laughs> oh, you weren't Chiefs back um, then. Who were you? Um, I, was, I was living in Auckland, unfortunately. Ah, yep. <laughs> but yep. I got out of there. <laughs> um, inaugural Chiefs captain. No, sorry, I can't even come up with one. No, that's all right, that's all right. Smithy, if you get it right, you can stump Alan, but get it wrong and he will leave with 50 bucks. Yep, okay, I'm going to go Dion Muir. Ooh. He's got him, he's out caught. No, but it was the right position, Smithy. It was Richard Pod Turner, number eight uh, oh. for the Chiefs in 1996. Ooh. So, Alan, you're very, very lucky. It slipped between the fingers of Smithy, and you are the winner <laughs> today. 50 bucks from the TAB. Well done, mate. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Smithy. Yeah, and enjoy living in the Bay of Plenty for the next 12 <laughs> months, too. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Well done. Good on you. Good on you, Alan. Well done, mate. Congratulations. Stay on the line. The boys will get the details off you. Uh, 11.37 here on SCNZ. Uh, so Alan's the winner. Um, but uh, yeah, Heath Mills is coming up, folks. Uh, he is, of course, the CEO of the New Zealand Cricket Players Association. Uh, I'd just like to know from uh, Mills, he would have been talking to uh, some of the players, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, he'll, he'll have an update on, on just how they're feeling about the whole deal and... Um, if they're coming through it, okay. And I think that's uh, important to know. So Heath Mills very shortly here uh, as we get through to Staffy at midday. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 11.42 here on SENZ. Uh, just after 9 o'clock this morning, we spoke to David White, of course, the CEO of uh, New Zealand Cricket. Uh, and, uh, and David was able to give us uh, an update on the situation there. Uh, which has not been happy. It's not been uh, pretty at all. Uh, and now I, I thought it was appropriate that perhaps we talk to uh, Heath Mills because uh, Heath is the CEO of New Zealand Cricket Players Association. Uh, and his role, of course, predominantly is to look after the players uh, and their welfare, etc. Uh, not just the international players, but the domestic ones as well. So uh, a pretty busy job. But at the moment, uh, particularly Heath, uh, not a, an enjoyable prospect for you to have to do uh, all this tidying up and and monitoring, I guess. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, how are um, the players, as you see it, have they come through this okay? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. It's, it's good to be talking to you. Uh, 
Yeah, they have. They're really delighted to be in Dubai, um, obviously, and I got a, a number of messages this morning that they've had a decent night's sleep and, and, and were quite chipper, uh, was one of the messages compared to what they had been the previous uh, 48, 72 hours. So they're, they're in good space. Uh, well, it was, it was a stressful time for them. Um, but one, one thing we did have, though, was we always knew that they were safe at the hotel and the level of resources and the security around the team um, was such that they did feel comfortable and in many respects it's been harder for the partners and the wives and the families back home because back here you're so far away and you don't you don't understand or get that sense of security that the, the players felt whilst they were in the hotel so yeah it's been a it hasn't been an easy time for everyone mate as you know Look, okay uh, Heath I, I, I asked uh, Whitey this he didn't really know the answer I'm not sure whether you're any better informed but I, I, the thing that worries me about this is is this an attack on cricket or the event um, or is this attack on New Zealand cricket because to me if it is that's really scary and some of the some of the, uh, the messages we're hearing that they were directed principally at individuals yeah well, there's a there was a um, a couple of threats uh, prior to us departing on the tour and look it's not unusual for us for, for players or uh, others to receive threats via the social media as, as it is today or, or other forms of, of media and we have really comprehensive security check processes in place now with New Zealand cricket. We've had them in place for about 12 years, um, and and we and we trust and we trust those processes. So often stuff will come through, and then we always treat it as serious, and it gets um, vetted by our security experts through different agencies, and comes back either you know no it's real, or more, most often it's that it's not credible, there's no capability, or it's even a hoax. And so that did happen in the lead up to this tour, but that in itself is not unusual. This was different, though. Um, you know, the, the players had been well looked after in Pakistan for five days. The security plan, its delivery, the resources was phenomenal, and we, we felt comfortable that they were safe. And they, if anything did go wrong, they would be safe. Um, but on Friday, this threat was, was serious and incredible. It was, it was targeted at the tour. Um, so that elevated things to a completely new level. And, and even though... The team might well have been safe no matter what happened. It would have been completely irresponsible for us to remain in Pakistan um, having received that threat. And uh, I think New Zealand cricket made absolutely the right decision. Um, specifically, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I can't go into the details of the threat, um, but, but I, you know, I can't specifically say it was about New Zealand or New Zealand cricket. Um, it's just a threat against the, um, the tour itself, and that was enough for us to, to exit the country. See, in the past, uh, you know, we've, this is not new, New Zealand cricket teams. We've, we've had to pull teams out from, from various venues over the years um, because of terrorist actions not directly involving teams. This is a slightly different one uh, in, in that respect that, that you know, it's, it's targeted at our guys uh, as opposed to that. In the past, I've also, teams have, have sat around a table, I know I've been part of it, and said, look, should we stay, should we go? Um, and... More often than not, we've come home. Uh, this time around, I'm not even sure you gave the players that option, did you? No, no. Um, you're quite right. Every other time, it's been we've been almost collateral damage, um, I guess, to uh, to something else that's been going on. Um, you yeah, this time it wasn't appropriate to give the players the option. In fact, you know, it was the middle of the night over there, and, and we let them continue sleeping till we had it verified and confirmed. Um, you know that there was a credible threat, uh, and then 
you know, the New Zealand, we had, there was a meeting which I was I was involved with in New Zealand cricket, very strong and straight away. No, no, we need to bring our people home. We we can't countenance them being there with this this threat. Um, and it was absolutely the right decision to make. So in that respect, it was different to what we've experienced in the past. You're quite right. So um, Heath, we've got some kids, young kids there, um, you know, who've done extremely well in terms of their development on the field, but. Uh, some of the old hands, uh, you know, probably handle these things better, or maybe they don't. I mean, um, how are the the young guys bearing up for this? Uh, yeah, it, it's been uh, it's been a challenge for them. You know, it's leading up. The good thing was that we involved the players all the way through with a with a pre tour planning process, and there've been many meetings with um, Reg Dickerson and our security experts about what to expect. They were aware of the daily risk assessments and they were aware of an evacuation plan should that change and we needed to get out. So um, when the, we gave them the news uh, um, in the team meeting prior to going to the ground and, and told them that a decision had been made, um, they, were, they were shocked. Uh, and then, as you can imagine, there were lots of questions. But very quickly, um, the group calmed down. They knew they were safe in the hotel. Uh, and they had full confidence in, in Reg and the plans uh, to get us out of the country. And New Zealand cricket staff were awesome at this time. Um, Smithy, the, the, the operational people particularly were outstanding in terms of how quickly they reacted and how re- quickly they got the plan in place and how safely we were able to work with the Pakistan authorities to get the team out. So there's no question it was a stressful time and, and people were some were more, more worried than others. It was what you get in any group of people. But by and large, I was actually pretty impressed with how calmly the group um, went through the process and and even now um, a lot of the messages I've had from players have been actually concerned for Pakistan and they know that this has really hurt the Pakistan people and that you know the Pakistan cricket board particularly feel really aggrieved and so actually getting a lot of sadness for what's had to happen uh, have happened and um, concern for those people which I think is good but make no bones about it it was the right decision to leave. Yep, absolutely. Um, just finally, uh, plans now. Um, we're, we're, we're also hearing perhaps that they may be able to get back. Uh, a lot of people can't get back at the moment, but there may be some contingency somewhere in terms of some emergency uh, availability for MIQ spots. Yeah, there's some who will remain for the T20 World Cup, and we just need the New Zealand Cricket High Performance Team will work out how they look after them until that tournament starts over in Dubai. And then a large number are coming back to New Zealand. Of course, they did always have MIQ spots. Um, uh, my understanding is that they're going to be moved forward where they can under the emergency provisions. So it's, uh, they, they won't be taking any, any more MIQ spots than was already in place for them to return. Um, but the actual details of that, I think, will be confirmed in the next couple of days. So in essence, um, it's been a pretty good result to a pretty ugly situation as you see it. Yeah, look, I actually am now just feel quite sad. A lot of work had gone into the tour and we wanted to be there, um, you know, to help Pakistan cricket. The, the cricket community relies on each other, Smithy, as you know, the international game, everyone to tour each other, and that's how you know, everything's funded. And a lot of people depend on that. So, you know, we, I, I feel sad um, for the Pakistanis, uh, but it was the right decision. And um, New Zealand cricket have done a great job in, in getting the people out. So, um Pretty pleased that the guys have had a good night's sleep in the in the Dubai, Dubai Hotel now. Good on you, Heath. Uh, thanks uh, at late notice for making yourself available and giving us an update on the players' welfare, which, of course, is paramount. Cheers, mate. Thank you. No, all the best. Cheers. Yeah, yeah cheers, Heath Mills there. He's been in the job a long time, so he's had to deal with a lot of situations.
Uh, and this is just another one along the line and a pretty ugly one at that. Speaking of uh, non-ugly things, oh, how is going to introduce staff like that? I was going to say, yeah, speaking of beautiful things, good-looking, strong things, and, and I'm going to ask staff too. I'm gonna, I've got to put your headphones back on, Steph. I've got to ask you this, uh, and I'll prepare you for it. You're a proud shield man. You're a proud shield man. Give us a preview to our thing. A pre- 80 minutes. That's a draw. Holders keep it. Yeah? 100%. Yeah? 100%. It's an 80 minute competition, has been for Lord Ranfurly introduced it in 1902. Why change? 120 years of it. Uh, yeah, 100%, Smithy. Okay, unless you go to the 48th minute of the second half. Uh, we won't bring that up again, but I, li- I did like the flatmate story, to be fair. Uh, we'll come back to Steph just before 12 o'clock, folks, uh, as we look forward to Afternoons with Mark Stafford. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just uh, before midday, it's time to hop across to uh, Control Room, to HQ, uh, and at the helm, I can see Mark Stafford poised already for his afternoon show, which will be, I'm sure, a very busy Monday afternoon, Steph. Yeah, Mondays are good, aren't they? We've had a whole weekend to marinate on sporting events, and most of the sporting events are held over the weekend. So, um, yep, I've popped out of the glad bag, fully marinated, ready to uh, ready to roast on a Monday. What have you got then? What do you got then, Chef? <laughs> uh, Steve Devine uh, to talk about the rugby championship matches we've had over the weekend. Haven't had confirmed yet, but hopefully Joel Kane to talk about the NRL over the weekend. Katrina Rore giving us a preview. Of course, the netballers are playing tonight. Uh, former captain Jimmy Smith across the ditch. But the one you'll want to listen to today, Smithy, is mm. Faizan Lakani. He's a sports journalist in Karachi in Pakistan and uh, we're talking to him about the fallout from the Pakistan side of things we've only heard things from the New Zealand side so a very passionate man who's very um, affected by this along with all Pakistan so looking forward to catching up with the Pakistan side of things and how they rolled out I'd really like to know and I'll be listening what time roughly is that he is on uh, just after two or maybe one we're just waiting to confirm either just after one or just after two I'd really like to know who, who did he think it was personally against New Zealand or just a general threat against the event and cricket in general or Pakistan Cricket Board or who because uh, at the moment um, I kind of get the feeling it was against us. Yes. Uh, and that, that becomes a lot more personal and to me a lot more dangerous. But mm. it's, I would be interested to see their point of view. Yeah, the interesting thing for me was they say how safe Pakistan is now, but when you saw the cavalcade of security around the New Zealand team to and from training, AK-47s at the ready, is it really that safe there, Smithy? Well, from an outsider's point looking in, it doesn't seem that way, Steph, and you're right, it's quite confusing. It's not life as we know it, put it that way, but this is not life as anyone should know it, and that's the problem. Thanks very much, Trude, outstanding. Uh, as to you too, Brian, very, very good and very supportive. I like your audio input. And John Day, nearly good. Nearly good, John. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport.